Hello, and welcome back to the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast. This show exists to provide representation for women of color in the environmental space, to highlight their stories, and to educate the masses about how to be more eco-friendly every day. From gardening to thrifting, minimalism to veganism, sustainable business owners to influencers, environmentalists to activists, we are all on a journey to taking better care of our bodies and our planet. I'm your host, Ariel Green. To be more sustainable, we often strive to reduce the amount of waste that we're creating and bringing into our homes. In this episode, we're talking with the Afro-minimalist about how minimalism relates to sustainability, how to get rid of things that no longer serve us, and how African-American history has shaped our beliefs with consumerism. If you have not yet read Christine's book, The Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less, I would highly recommend it. You may be able to find it at your local library or on the Libby app. But if you want to own it, check out independent bookstores in your area or online retailers like Better World Books or Thrift Books. If you're more of an audiobook person, Libro FM is a great alternative to the options that line the pockets of billionaires. Libro FM allows you to buy audiobooks from local bookstores in the U.S. and Canada. Libro FM splits the profit from each purchase with local bookstores, giving customers the power to keep money within their local economies. You can buy books a la carte or sign up for a monthly membership. Click the link in the show notes to sign up and use the code CHOOSEENDY for a free audiobook with a new membership. Please note that I will receive a small commission with your purchase. But before we get too deep into that, I want to remind you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's super easy to do on any Apple device. Just search for Sustainable Brown Girl Podcast and be sure to follow if you aren't already. Then scroll down to the review area, and I'm sure you want to leave a five-star review, so go ahead and do it. It really helps us with getting more people to discover the show. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I will feature it in an upcoming episode. If you're not already, be sure to follow Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and use the hashtag Sustainable Brown Girl to be featured on the page. I love seeing what everyone's up to, their sustainable swaps, their outfit inspo. So I love sharing that on Instagram. Also, if you have a few dollars to spare, please consider becoming a Sustainable Brown Girl patron on Patreon. It really helps to keep the show going on a consistent basis, and you'll get access to some exclusive content. A link to the Patreon page is in the show notes. As always, your support is greatly appreciated. Also, if you didn't know, we record the video from almost all of our podcast interviews. So if you want to see the full video versions, head over to the Sustainable Brown Girl YouTube channel and subscribe. Sometimes our guests will show something to the camera that you obviously can't see if you're just listening to the audio. And it's so much fun to be able to see all of these Sustainable Brown Girls live. A link to the video for this episode is in the show notes. Be sure to tune in every Thursday to catch new episodes of the Sustainable Brown Girl podcast.
Now let's get into this episode. Today's featured sustainable brown girl is Christine Platt, author of The Afro-Minimalist Guide to Living with Less, a radical re-envisioning of minimalism that focuses on authenticity over aesthetics. Christine's book is a re- Christine's book is a resource to anyone seeking to discover the truth behind their overconsumption as well as how to let go of what as well as how to let go of what no longer serves them. Thank you so much for joining us today, Christine. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, so happy to be here. Yay. So, you know, I've read your book. I know a lot of people have read your book. And so I kind of want to talk about about your book and a few other things with you. But when I was reading your book, I was surprised to learn that you have a background in environmentalism. You were a Mm -hmm. policy advisor for the U.S. Department of Energy. And so I think that that really um, helped to connect a few dots for me. And Mm -hmm. so like one thing that I feel like is that minimalism is a form of sustainability. Would you also agree with that? Absolutely. I think it is one of the most sustainable intentional lifestyles that we can live, which is why, you know, that can, to me, the connection is, you know, everyone's like, you're jumping from energy law to, and I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> it's like all connected. Right. right. Um, you know, it forces us to be very mindful of what we have, what we use, how we consume. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's definitely a sustainable lifestyle. And I've started to call it starting to even move away from the term minimalism and call it like, intentional living, mindful Mm -hmm. living, sustainable Mm -hmm. living, right? Because that's really what it is. I think that term minimalism has just, it's just been opted into something more or less than what it, than what it is. Right. And it's really, it focuses so much more on the aesthetics rather than the practice of, you know, living with less. Right. And so, yes, I am in full on agreement with you that it is and a so sustainable how, lifestyle. Exactly. So how did your like sustainable journey begin? Like what made you want to go into that, you know, into your job of energy? You know, it's so funny. It was my first job right out of uh, law school mm-hmm. and I was just applying everywhere. I actually really wanted to do like EEO work. I really wanted, you know, I, I also have a background in uh, anti-racism work and, you know, equity. And, um, and so I really wanted to do EEO work and then I'm in DC and I'm just like applying, you know, there's like that, I would say like those first few weeks where you're like, I'm going to get the job of my dreams. And then you're like, I need to eat. Right. right <laughs> so yeah. I had reached that, I had reached that I need to eat phase where I was just like applying for anything that moved. And, um, there was a small plaintiff's, um, environmental law firm and uh, they reached out and they were like, we got your resume, like same question you asked, like, why are you interested in energy and environmental law? And I was like, I mean, obviously it applies to me. I was like, but I'm going to be honest. I don't know a single thing. I was like, but I'm willing to learn. And they said, and we're willing to teach you. And this was like early 2000s. This is when, when people were thinking about energy and environmentalism, they were just thinking about you know, people living off the grid, eating granola, Mm -hmm. you know? (laughs) Um, And then like within the first, I would say maybe three years after I I started that job, 
um, it just became a thing. Like renewable energy became an issue. Like it, it, it just, yeah. And I was, I just ended up being one of the few black women um, in energy and environmental law at the time. And so it allowed me to write my own sort of ticket and that's what led me to government. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a demanding field. There's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of work that won't happen in our lifetime, but our job is to really move the ball forward. Um, and so, you know, I got, I got burnout. Right. Um, yeah. but it was, it was, it was a, a wonderful career and I think it does mesh very well with, um, you know, the work that I do right now, because it is one of intentionality. Yes. Yes. I love that. Um, so you said that you got burnt out with your job, but like in your book, you were making, you know, you talked about how you were making a lot of money. And so mm-hmm. you kind of like ended up buying, you know, a bunch of All stuff. the things. Yes. <laughs> and so as you started your minimalism journey, like what was kind of like the process with that? You know, I started with just, I mean, I just felt like I had too much stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like that's how a lot of people start, you know, like I woke up that Saturday morning looking around like, oh my God, I have to clean again. Let me go buy some more bins. And then it's like, am I going to buy more things to hide the things? Like, let me just Mm -hmm. deal with the things, right? And Mm -hmm. so that's kind of how it started for me. Um, And again, just really caught up in the aesthetics of mainstream minimalism, right? Like we look at the photos on Pinterest and on Instagram and you know, in magazines, and we're just like, oh, of course, one chair in a vast room overlooking the ocean is going to look peaceful and calming, right? But right. it's not the reality um, for a lot of us. And it, it and it's also not as serene as one might think, right? And mm-hmm. so I started really trying with mirroring a lot of the aesthetics that I saw online. Yeah. And it was only when I saw that it, oh, this is just not going to work. for me. And I was like, oh, if this is minimalism, if I have to live in this like stark white home with nothing and one fork, one knife, one spoon, as I like to say, I was like, oh, this is not for me. And I said, I am going to be the Afro minimalist because, you know, history and culture is very important to me. And so that's really how my journey began. And I just started sharing things online because it was kind of like, man, if there are other, you know, black folks out there that are, you know, interested in pursuing this lifestyle, much like me had never seen anyone that ever looked like them doing it, let me be online and be a resource Mm -hmm. so that they can see like, here's what it looks like when you do it your way. And it just turned out that, you know, millions of other people also like using color (laughs) right? And, and being intentional in their space. Right. And so, you know, it, you know, it's an, an honor to, you know, be called a trailblazer and say that, you know, I really, you know, sort of challenge mainstream minimalism in a way that other people had not before. Um, and so I'm really proud of that. But yeah, I mean, like, it, it's, again, there's so much that I've learned from when I first started and even from thinking I could do it in a weekend. Mm-hmm. Right. Um <laughs> And so, yeah, that's how my journey started. And as you know, there is no end. It is just you constantly, you know, evolving, refining, growing, looking for new solutions, you know, constantly letting go. Um, And so, yeah, that's where I am right now. Yeah, it's so important to have that representation um, because like you said, we see those mainstream images of the neutrals and the like Mm -hmm. fairness, but 
not everyone wants to live like that. Like you want to live more simply, but you don't want to live that simply. So yeah. Yeah. So it's so great to see. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, we take a lot from, you know, other lifestyles, like, you know, I mean, this, I can't blame main Scandi, you know, sort of living yeah. on mainstream minimalism, right? But you know, they they have those soft undertones and palettes for a reason mm-hmm. to reflect light in their home because you know it's super dark during certain yeah. times of the year, right? Or right. we hear Marie Kondo say like, "You can only have twenty books," and we're like, "How can you only have twenty books?" Without realizing within that region in which she lives, yeah, you can't have a lot of books because it's super humid. And, you know, it's like we take little bits and pieces of things based on the aesthetics of it Mm -hmm. and not really understanding the meaning and intentionality right behind it. Um, And then are so frustrated when it doesn't work for our lifestyles and, and what we do. Right. So it's like, I don't, I don't know if we're meant to live in stark rooms right Right. in this in in our particular region of the world where we have an abundance of light yeah I don't know if we need 20 books when we have all the space and all the books right that aren't Mm going to be damaged by the humidity in the air right and so we sort of have to challenge and you know do dig a little deeper in some of into some of these practices and principles that we see online or that we you know, feel like, oh, I'm interested. I might, I might like that. Right. Like you got to know the why behind that because it may not even be applicable to your life. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, And so speaking of, I kind of want to talk about your, your book and how um, you have like the, for, for the culture blurbs. So mm-hmm. you have a bachelor's and master's degree in African-American studies. And so yeah. I found your, for the culture blurbs to be really interesting because they Thank go, <laughs> they go into the African-American history and like how they've shaped our beliefs with consumerism. So mm-hmm. how would you say that the, or what would you say is the biggest factor that has played part in how Black Americans in particular typically spend money? Oh man, there is no one factor, right? I mean, right. I, I think if we want to get to like the root of it, right? It's yeah. the, I mean, obviously this is not our home, right? Like mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. not our true home, right? And so like the root cause of it is, you know, really being, you know, forcibly, our ancestors forcibly taken from their homeland, being forced to labor in our country and other parts of the world, right? Ultimately, you know, finding and fighting for their independence, only to be 200, 400, you know, years behind, um, you know, in terms of economic equity, right? And so I think for so much of it for us is, is so rooted in that that disruption in our history, right? We had a history before here, and I'm specific is uh, speaking specifically to Black Americans, right? We mm-hmm. our history did not start with slavery, right? And so, like, we are constantly in this place of trying to catch up, trying to make up, trying to assimilate into a dominant culture that really is, it was, was never for us, is not for us, and is not rooted in who we are, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's always sort of this constant conflict of, you know, I mean, I, I like to say we are the original sustainability Absolutely. experts, 
right? Like, this is my thing, right? And, you know, I'll say in a joking way and saying like, listen, the plastic bag issue, that's not our issue. We have all of our plastic bags. That's y'all, right? <laughs> like, I, I can, you know, <laughs> Black folks can think of a million ways to use a plastic bag, right? Mm-hmm. So that's like the ha ha ha, we could joke about it kind of kind of thing, right? But historically, right? Always being forced to have less than, make do with, you know, find a way to work around. But like, this is ancestrally, right? I talk about blood memory is a lot too. I know you hear me say that a lot. Like that sort of um, willingness, desire, um, we have an innate sort of just, it, it's within us that we know how to be sustainable. We know how to be intentional, right? And I think what we get challenged with is dominant culture <laughs> telling us like, no, get all the things, have all the things, enjoy all the things, right? Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. you know, the the origin is us, you know, it's the disruption in our history, you know, and then there are a number of just micro <laughs> choices and challenges that have, you know, collectively impacted us as a whole, as a community, right? But I think what you're seeing is so many more Black folks really challenging you know, whether it's the narratives that we've been told about how to spend our money, whether it's, you know, the fears that we have overcome based on, you know, what our ancestors went through. And I mean, we're talking like two to three generations removed, right? We're not like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It's like, right. my friend can say, I remember going to Mississippi, you know, being in Mississippi with my grandmother and us picking cotton in the morning. Yeah. Right. Like share crop. Like we're not that far removed. So I also want us to, you know, extend ourselves a little compassion and grace when it comes to this work. But like I, I see people really doing the work, really wanting to understand and build generational wealth. Right. Really challenging these notions of conspicuous consumption or keeping up with the Joneses, as we used to say. Right. And really pausing and saying, like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing right yeah. and I think for me from what I'm seeing this is like one of the first generations where I see that more on a collective level mm-hmm. than I did with my generation like like my generation if you were moving like that you were an outlier something's wrong with you you're weird why doesn't she wear that why doesn't she have that right mm-hmm. and I think this generation is like Mm-mm, this is not gonna this is not working for me I could live in a van and not have any debt and be live a carefree life and I'm going to do it. Right. And I yes. think that is just a new, beautiful space for black folks. And and I love it. Like I love it. I'm here for it because so many of our challenges are trying to assimilate and get on a level playing field with dominant culture when we're literally hundreds and hundreds of years behind. And so it's time to sort of rethink, reimagine you know, and reforge just like a new way that works for us as a community. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree that this next generation, like millennials and Gen Z have have made more strides towards being more conscious about how they're spending money, um, mm-hmm. you know, and like you said, trying to build generational wealth. So it is really yeah. exciting to see because- But you know what? Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I just want to okay. say this really quick. Like, it's also because they have a better understanding of it, right? Yeah. And, I, and I try and tell people this all because so much of the older generation, like there's this constant beating themselves up about why didn't I, why didn't I, why didn't I, yeah. right? Like I 
grew up without no internet, right? Like exactly. there's no internet. I remember when the first person in my neighborhood got a microwave, like, <laughs> listen, like technology is very, very new, right? And what right. it did was allow us access to information that has been withheld from us intentionally, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I grew up, I had to believe whatever I was told. I had to believe whatever was shown to me on television. I had to read whatever books were in my local library, right? That meant I had a very contained body of knowledge to work from, right? Yeah. And now these generations have access to information um, that, I mean, is unbelievable, right? That information even allows them to challenge some of the narratives that I wasn't able to challenge, right? So if I'm hearing, let's say the older black woman in my neighborhood having a conversation about, man, you can't trust the bank, just can't trust the bank with your money. So-and-so uh -huh. had all their money at the bank. And, you know, I mean, they were saving for years. And when they went to withdraw it, that white man told them they don't even have an account there, right? Like you're mm -hmm. hearing that narrative, hearing that narrative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had nothing to challenge that, right? I had friends in college that were still keeping money in their bra oh because God. of those narratives, right? right? And like, I'm 45 years old. I'm not 100, yeah. <laughs> right? And so like getting, you know, I, I think depending on where you fall on, on that spectrum of, you know, our, our ages and our experiences and our, our lived experiences rather, you know, you have to extend yourself some grace because you can't beat yourself up for what you didn't know. Yeah. Right. And so I think, you know, really keeping in mind that technology has allowed us intellectual and educational advancement too, right. That has made it look easier, seem easier um, for generations who were, who were born into that technological era. So I just wanted to like throw yeah. that in there because it is, you know, uh, yeah, it's tough, right? It's tough. Right. There's a lot to dismantle. There's a lot to dismantle and, and, and challenge depending on your age for sure. Yeah, that's true. And in, in addition to ac better access to information, I think it's also, there's more opportunities and more ways to make money. So, you know, mm -hmm. rather than having to go to the same job for $40 or for 40 hours a week and making X amount of dollars, there's more potential to, you know, earn more money. So I think that also yeah, plays a factor. For sure. You can start your business on I mean, you could literally start a business yeah. today if you wanted to, right? Yeah. Whereas that was uh, an economic opportunity that just was not accessible to a lot of people even 20 years ago. Right. Right? Like you literally had to go to the bank, get a loan, try and figure out how, you know, hope they would approve it, hope that, you know, and it's just like, so yeah, all of that plays such an important role. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, Eric, honestly, I feel like that role also with that brings a different level of responsibility, right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Like I think we, when I talk about individual and collective responsibility, that's what I mean, right? Like, right. yeah, we have this, this, all this access now, and we have these opportunities and, you know, we're able to make changes and do certain things in ways that literally, were not possible for our parents, not even our grandparents, our parents, right? And so we have an individual and collective responsibility to 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 use and to do good, in my opinion. Absolutely. Totally agree. 
So um, as we were kind of talking about the past generations, and I guess, you know, some people still do this now. Um, as we earn more money, we feel the need to buy more things, you know, to buy luxury items and keep up as the Joneses, so they say. Mm -hmm. So for people who are maybe, you know, just kind of starting to realize that maybe they feel like, you know, this is a problem, I want to change it. What are mm -hmm. some ways that they can go deep and try to reprogram that? Yeah, I mean, I always tell folks to start with the inner work, right? Like it's really getting to the root cause of why you even believe you need to have that, right? Um, you know, as I share in the book, so much of it starts with our childhood. So much of it starts with um, cultural and societal pressures and expectations. And I mean, that can be based on any part of identity, right? Like the woman who says, oh, I don't like shopping. And someone is like, what do you mean you don't like shopping? All women like shopping. Yeah. Right? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so it, it there, there's so many parts of our identities that get challenged and push us into um, this consumerism mindset, right? So I always tell people to start with the with doing that inner work, right? And and the biggest thing that that no matter where you discover uh, that root cause, wherever that belief is coming from, right? Wherever that limiting belief is, where it's like, oh, I have to have this or I need to have that. Um, you know, we ultimately all have to get to the place where we understand that our value is not in what we have, it's mm -hmm. in who we are. Yes. And that, I mean, like, to me, like, once you are able to make that mindset shift, the world is, I mean, you just look at the world in a whole different way, right? Mm -hmm. But because we live in a capitalistic society and we live in a society that is so driven by consumerism, right? so driven by what you can show people you have and I, like all of these different things, right? Like we have to constantly challenge that, right? And you literally, I don't care, put it on a sticky note, right? And <laughs> write it on your bathroom mirror and say like, my value is not in what I have. It's in who I am. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of danger in putting your value right? And your self-worth and your self-esteem. There's a lot of danger in having that rooted in a thing or what you're wearing, right? Or where you live or what you drive, right? Because our things can be taken away from us mm -hmm. at any time through no fault of our own, right? I mean, I literally was in a hit and run the other day, area sitting in my parked car. Oh gosh. Sitting in my parked car, literally had just pulled up. Uh -huh. and was, thank God, I text my mom to say, hey, just made it safe, just made it home safely, here, skirt, boom, Wow! right, just coming around the corner too fast, right, do I love my car, I love my car, yes, I love my car, guess what, I have not been with my car <laughs> in four weeks now, you know what I'm saying, wow. so it's like, our things can be taken away from us at any time. If my identity is rooted in that car and I get this loner, my loner is not my car, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love, I do love my car, but I'm not going to not drive. Right. Cause I have to be in this loner, right? Like yeah. I'm not going to say like, Ooh, I really want to go see so-and-so, but if they see me pull up in this loner car, right. It's mm -hmm. like the value is in me showing up. Yes. Right. The value is in me 
getting to where I need to, to go to do what I need to do, right? And so like, I really want people to challenge that notion that their value is defined by what they have. It's just not true. It is just not true. It is something that has been placed on us in, in from many different sources for many different reasons, right? This is not just for the economic benefit of others, right? Like there are other things that people have told us and, and said to us, right? Like for their own benefit, we have been sort of fed this lie that we have to have certain things to be seen as fill in the blank. Yes. And it's just not true. Right. Exactly. Yes. So many people place so much value in the things that they have. And Mm -hmm. um, not to call my mother-in-law out, but she is one of those people. And so, you know, I feel like she has been making strides to, um, you know, try to do better and realize that she doesn't need all of these things. And I'm Mm -hmm. sure a lot of people are also in her situation. So once you kind of come to the realization that, okay, I am not what I own, um, and you kind of want to start downsizing and, you know, getting rid of all of this excess, how, Mm -hmm. what is the process of letting things go? Especially when you realize that you spent so much money on these things, some of them (laughs) still have tags on them. How do you, welcome to my, that was my life. (laughs) Yeah. How do you, how do you go through that? Yeah. You know, first of all, I'm glad you asked that question. And, you know, again, extending some grace to your mother-in-law given her age right for Um, sure and and I think that's the other thing too like when we when we do that inner work and we you know start this acknowledgement process right uh which is going to be step one so this is all tied together right so when we start this acknowledging process which is hey you know what I have too much let me do let me do a little digging and find out why right? We start to understand that a lot of stuff has been like passed down to us generationally, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking of your mother-in-law, you know, maybe her parents were likely born during the Great Depression or, Mm -hmm. you know, like shortly there or something along those lines, right? And so if you grew up in a time of scarcity, you either respond in two certain ways, right? You like are always extremely scarce, (laughs) because you never know when the rug is going to be pulled out from under you and you want to be able to pick up and go, right? Or you're like, I am going to live in abundance because I grew up with nothing and I want everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's like, you have to get to those little individual unique challenges that have shaped your consumption, right? So that's step one. That's the acknowledgement phase. Step two is forgiving yourself, right? So this is my this is my other struggle with mainstream minimalism is that we are not given a holistic framework to sort of help us move through, right? It's kind of it's it's like so I have four steps. And I feel mainstream minimalism it's like two steps. It's like acknowledge you have too much stuff, two, let go. Yeah. If only it were that easy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like acknowledge you have to forgive yourself because if not, you're going to stay stuck in this space of woe is me, look at how much money I spent. I was so stupid. I was so this, you know, like you just start Mm -hmm. this really negative self-talk that you have to forgive yourself, right? In order, and others, right? In order for you to move on to step three, which is the letting go process, right? I don't care what you do, right? Like it can be, you can, you can do the whole, you know, like I'm going to let go of one thing a day, or you can do like, I'm going to put everything in boxes, And if I don't have to go in this box in three months, I'm just going to donate the box 
sealed and unseen, right? There's so many different approaches to letting go. You have to do what works best for you. What I, and I think where you and I are definitely in alignment is that we never talk about step four, which is where's the stuff going? Yes. Right. Where's it going, y'all? What, mm. what, 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 are, what are we doing with it? Right. Mm. Like, and so like that is the sustainability piece for us to say, I have to be intentional with even what I let go. Right. Like, right. I don't want this to go into a landfill. Are there organizations in my community that can benefit this? Are there friends and family members who can, you know, benefit from this? Is there a kid mm-hmm. that's going to college? Is there a new couple? Right. We talk mm-hmm. about buy nothing groups. We talk about local organizations that will come and pick it up for you, right? Like even Zappos has, you know, they've partnered with Souls for Souls. They will send you the free shipping to mail the the label to to ship it, right? Like there are options outside of your trash, right? Because a lot of this stuff is not trash, which is why I'm always even mindful terminology matters, right? So I'm never like, oh, I'm about to just trash or I'm about to purge or I'm about to, right? It's like, I'm about to let go, right? I know these things may be able to benefit other people, right? A large part of uh, waste in this country is F waste, which is, you know, our furniture waste, right? Mm -hmm. Perfectly good pieces. You know, they just don't aesthetically work the way you wanted to. Right, right. You know what? I'm tired of all this white furniture. I'm going to get brown, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, what do we do? Like seeing, and I, you know, I wish there was a way to do like tours where people could actually go to a landfill and see because they, there's no no way. way. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) No way you would ever be able to consume and just throw stuff away like that again because you understand it has to go somewhere. Yes. Right. Exactly. If, 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 if it's not something that we are consuming, having, I mean, and you see how long a t-shirt can last. Mm-hmm. You see how long a pair of shoes can last. Right. To, and to see a perfectly good desk, right. Mm-hmm. That could benefit a group home, a community center, a school, a library to see a perfectly good desk. Just right there in the landfill because someone just wanted it to be a different color and didn't want to take the time, just that one extra minute to say, who might be able to benefit from this, right? So that's step four for me, pay it forward, I think is where we really have to focus our energies and efforts when it comes to minimalism, letting go, intentional living, whatever you want to call it. Like that is a big part of it for me. Is how we pay it forward with those things that we no longer need, use, and love, right? Because our goal should be to leave this earth better than we found it. Uh, we are not doing a good job of that, <laughs> right? And so it's yeah. like in my lifetime, what what are the choices that I can make um, so that I can say I made the best I made the best decisions I could to, to just, you know, give it my all to make sure I am not personally, my footprint, right, is, is not a part of this madness. And if we do that collectively, you know, we have, we have a real opportunity to, to bring about change, I think. Yes, totally agree. I love that you keep that step four in there because it is so important. 
to be conscious about how you are disposing of your waste. So I love Mm -hmm. that you're spreading that message. Thank you. So when it comes to now you've let go of the things that you no longer need. And so I think a lot of people believe that with minimalism, now it means, okay, I can't buy anything new, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, when you shared the reel that I did about the different sustainability books, there was one comment on there about, well, instead of buying new books, you should just go to the library and, you know, rent the books so that you, you know, like, why are you promoting buying new things? So Uh, (laughs) I love the people and people, man. So many people and people out there, right? Like, I I mean, again, I I mean, I remember reading that comment and just Mm -hmm. being like, people are so, these, these are the same people that are like, you're talking about sustainability. Why are you getting on a plane? And it's like, so you want me to walk to whatever country I'm trying to go to, not understanding that the pair of jeans that they are wearing, right? Their, their fast fashion Mm -hmm. jeans may have used more carbon emissions than this flight that I'm about to take. Right. So, so much of it is people don't even understand how all of this works. Right. Yeah. You know, I think that they're, you know, you're going to buy things, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think you had a recent post about zero waste. um, And I was like, yes, right? Like these, you know, there's all these little buzzwords and I'm just like, y'all are really out here stressing yourselves out about stuff that number one is Mm -hmm. literally not even possible, right? right? Like the idea of zero waste, its origins was never for people to be like, I'm, I'm not going to have any waste ever. It was like, how can you take a thing and have it be zero waste, right? So like when I showed the strawberries, you know, I <laughs> showed the other day how to make strawberry leaf tea, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We cut off the tops of our strawberries. The tops of the strawberries have a lot of nutrients. We can use them to steep and make tea. Yes. And then we can use the steeped tops to put in our compost. Right. That's an example of zero waste, yes. right? And so mm-hmm. like it was supposed to I uh, initially sort of be this way to how can I have a thing that I don't use all of it and just dwindle it down as much as possible. Right. And, and, you know, obviously food is something that is, that is more zero waste. Right. But this idea that you're not going to ever buy anything, that you're not going to ever, you know, have to throw something in the trash. Right. Or you see these people that like, you know, I, 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 It, for me, it's the the large mason jar that's like, oh my this gosh. is all the trash that I used for an entire year. And I'm just yes. like, yeah, right. Okay, girl, I'm not going <laughs> to call you out, right? Uh-huh. But like, you know, I think, you know, again, it, this, if we're not careful, this lifestyle itself can be a form of conspicuous consumption. And I think yeah. that's what you see a lot of online. You see the people like, look how few things I have look how little waste I have, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a braggadocious sort of way to live, right? It's just like, this is what you should be doing to live more sustainably, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, listen, I am all for buying books. I am also all, all, all for being intentional about how you buy books, right? And so like one, I'll share my experience. I used to love buying cookbooks. I mean, they're so beautiful to look at. They're yeah. so pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there is just nothing like looking at a beautiful, aesthetically pleasing cookbook, right? Mm-hmm. And then when I was going through my decluttering and letting go, I'm like, I have a lot of cookbooks and I may have only used one recipe 
out of this book. Yeah. Right. And so I said, going forward, unless it is a, a book that I really like a cookbook that I know I am going to just like use a lot. Um, I have a few of Bryant Terry's cookbooks that are like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise I buy them as eBooks. Right. Yeah. And the benefit of having cookbooks as eBooks is like when I'm in the store, I just pull up the eBook and get the recipes off that. Right. And so like, mm-hmm. It's not to say that you're never going to buy anything. It's right. not to say that you're not going to buy books mm-hmm. <laughs> in particular, but it is to say that there are ways that you can be more sustainable, you know, and mindful of, of not having a whole lot of things. Right. Um, but if you, if you are a, a chef or you're a cook, or these are meals that you're going to use for your family, no one wants to be standing in the kitchen trying to like, scroll and you know what I mean? Like then you get the cookbook, right? But for me, that's, that, that was a way that I could have fewer books in my physical space, right. Mm -hmm. But still have access to the books. Right. And so again, this is why you have to make choices and decisions that work best for you. Um, And I love that you shared those books. Right. And I mean, I think I mean, I, I read most of them and, and even within, within some of those books that talk about this very thing, right? And challenging right. this notion of it's not you're never buying anything again. It's not mm-hmm. that you're going to live this zero waste life. And I mean, maybe there's a gold star somewhere that I don't know about, but like, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know what folks are out here, you know, trying to get these, you know, gold stars for, for, for doing the least and having the least, right? Like yes. the real benefit is how it affects you individually. And then, you know, that trickle down collective benefit when we all make the best, you know, choices and better sustainable choices for ourselves, right? Like, Yes. To me, that's, I could be wrong, but if there's a gold star, let me know. Okay. <laughs> I want one. Right. No, I totally <laughs> agree. It all depends on your lifestyle, but at the end of the day, you should just be more intentional about the things that you are bringing into your home. You sure. Know? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, um, you have your book, the Afro minimalist guide to living with less, and you have yes. the less is liberation workbook. And mm-hmm. I know you're also working on something else new. So like, you know, <laughs> share with us, like what you're working on, what you're excited about right now. Yeah. You know, I'm really excited about, um, you know, really making less is liberation, you know, moving it from being a mantra to a movement. Like, I yeah. feel like it's time for us to really start challenging our lifestyles in a way that, that really make it more of a movement. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's, really something that I'm excited about right now. Um, just finished a novel. I'm always writing, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, even rethinking, uh, the workbook, um, you know, all of the less is liberation boxes that I had, we have, uh, we have sold out of those. Awesome. Right. And so really rethinking like, hmm, what is next even on that journey? Right. Um, and also just taking some time to be still, I think that's the thing when you, you know, this, this work requires so much of you, right? It's, it's constantly hearing people's stories. It's constantly helping them, you know, dismantle unhealthy narratives and limiting beliefs, right? Like there's an emotional energy that comes um, with doing nonfiction and lifestyle work that, that I have learned. It, it is important for us to also pause and take care of ourselves as practitioners. And so, 
my daughter is coming home from her freshman year of college uh, tomorrow. And uh, I still can't believe her first year of college has gone by. And so I'm looking to to just be more intentional uh, with my time with her, with resting, with being easy and being good to myself. So, you know, when fall kicks back up, um, I will be, I will be ready to be, to be back on, on this movement. Right. Yes. That is, that is my, that is my goal. So some things that that. I'm excited about. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. We definitely need time to rest and to Ah, continue with family. For sure. For sure. Well, Christine, it has been such a pleasure having you on the show. Um, Thank you. Likewise. Thank you. Our last question is, what does being a sustainable brown or black girl mean to you? (sighs) I mean, I know it sounds so cliche to say like, it means everything to me, right? No, (laughs) but I mean, like, I, I think it is, you know, just a very powerful testament um, to, to, to who I am, to who my ancestors are, to, you know, the, the, the work and world that I'm leaving for my descendants, right? Like, it's just, it, it really is, it really does encompass, uh, everything that, that I choose to do and, and what I love. And so, yes, it's everything to me. Yes, I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christine, for coming on. It's been such a pleasure. Thank um, you. And if you guys have not read her book, you should definitely either go buy it or go listen to it or get it from the library, whatever works for your <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> it's really great. So um, thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Bye. If you want to keep the conversation going, follow us at Sustainable Brown Girl on Instagram and Facebook. Check out the website at sustainablebrowngirl.com and send any questions, comments, or topic ideas to podcast at sustainablebrowngirl.com. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your friends about your favorite episode. Donate to Patreon if you can, and be sure to watch the full video interview on YouTube. Until next time, let's continue to make better choices for the health of our bodies and the planet. Thanks for listening.